Good afternoon. This is exciting. We've got our latest guest, uh, Mark Altshuler, who um, is the CEO and pres president of Varison. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Thanks a lot, James, for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited about this conversation. I've already um, done lots of research and preparation into your background, and there's a real story to be told. Um, so I think our listeners are in for a real treat. Um, as people can expect from the sales um, podcast interviews, we really want to kind of um, learn about the heart and mind and the inspiration from Mark's journey. Um, so I'm going to kick off a, for an introduction, uh, a nice introduction of, of Mark his background, and then we'll kick off um, for the first question. So thanks again for being part of this, Mark. Thanks again. Awesome. Um, so just to kick this off, um, and there is a real story to tell, um, but the background starts in 2004 when um, Mark originally founded the business as it was known then um, as Varison. And over the next few years, um, led Varison into becoming um, the fastest growing software company um, in Canada. And by 2010, it was listed um, by Deloitte's Fast 500 and recognized for the success that you achieved in that early stage of the journey. Um, what's interesting is there from there in 2012, you were acquired by IBM. Um, and where following that acquisition, you went on to lead um, and become general manager of IBM's approximately $1 billion business and continue to grow not just the business um, within IBM, but I think yourself as well from a skill set and experience perspective. And I think that's something really interesting to discover this entrepreneurial gene that clearly you've got, but this amazing um, uh, perspective on large scale businesses, which I think makes this a very interesting conversation we're about to have. So, you know, during his time at IBM, Mark um, brought Cognos back to growth, um, oversaw IBM's largest organic digital offering in Watson Analytics, and was on IBM's growth and transformation team, um, comprised of the top 300 executives at IBM. Um, so, interestingly, Mark, you've, you've, you've brought Varison back to life, and I'm super keen to hear more about Varison and that story. But I just just start with something that we can all relate to right now. Um, I know I can being stuck at home is what's been keeping you entertained during this lockdown? And, you know, has there been any binge watching or shows on Netflix that have caught your fancy and interest? Well, I have to say, I mean, lately there's been a phenomenon around GameStop and cryptocurrency and waves, and you can't help but follow and read and see everything that's going on and be entertained by it and maybe read a little bit on Reddit from time to time. Um, but before we got to that point, it was pretty much the same as everyone else. There was Tiger King where you watch that first episode and you're like, why are people recommending it? And then you keep going. And this is the second episode. The third, why am I still watching this? And you're like, then you can't wait to watch the next one. Uh, there was the Michael Jordan one, The Last Dance. Um, and then you have to start hunting for stuff that maybe you never watched before. For me, because there was so much time spent working and just doing other stuff, I had never seen Homeland. I'd never seen Sons wow. of Anarchy. So those were all great to see. Uh, Apple TV's put out some phenomenal uh, hits like Tehran and For All Mankind, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then more recently, I had to go back and I even watched Godfather 1 and 2. But there is a lesson in terms of how we've changed, even ourselves. Like, I don't have the attention span I would have back then. I actually would have been very young back then, but I don't have the attention span. So I ended up turning it into a TV series. I think each one took me about five to six sessions to get through. 
Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I have to say, um, you know, some really interesting shows there. I, d I don't think you could make up Tiger King, though. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it, so bizarre and so kind of strange, but intriguingly interesting that s seemed to have like landed at a time when the world was living through some anxiety and needed some form of entertainment to distract them from our own lives, I guess. Yeah, and all our live programming was gone at the time. We were so used to live programming, but the fact that they would have all that footage was just amazing. It was. It was very incredible. Well, um, thank you for that uh, icebreaker. Um, as part of this, you know, we really want to know about you as well as understanding about um, the journey you've been on as an entrepreneur and as a business leader. Um, it'd be keen to just understand just you as an individual, kind of where, where the motivations come and an inspiration um, has come for the journey that you've embarked on. So for me, it's all around things that haven't been solved before or where existing solutions can be meaningfully innovated upon. Um, so a lot of things have first generation, second generation, but where can you take it from there? Some cases, it's how do we disrupt ourselves in terms of something we've been doing for a long time. I always say disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you. Um, and that's, in fact, how Verison came to be. Uh, at the time, there were tools out there that did what we were going to do. We yeah. just thought they all sucked and we thought we could do it better. Uh, and we had lived them and we had experienced them and we talked to their customers uh, and it felt more like hostages sometimes. And we really wanted to kind of bring a new way to that type of business. Um, so as my team knows, I don't like spending time on things where there's already an answer key. Uh, I always like to frame out and understand what good looks like and then beat it. Uh, and if you don't do this, you can actually mess up a winning hand. So like a great story and experience I had was just around the early days of try and buy. If you don't know that best in class is a 4% conversion rate going in, that means 96% of your trials fail. If you don't know that, you could easily sit there and muff a winning hand. Uh, and maybe you're at 5% or you're better. And then you deconstruct what you have because you're like, well, wait, we're failing on 95%. How could that be good? You need to know what good looks like. It's okay to beat it, but you need to know what it is. I like that. And I'm, I, I'm, I, you're clearly, um, from what I've learned and what we're going to hear more about, you like the in intellectual challenge. You you know you like to solve big, big juicy problems, which I think is fed into you know how you've designed Varison. You know a lot of our listeners are always looking to self improvement and looking to improve, and we often find them. There's a book that um, people carry with them, or it's something they often recommend. Do you have a book that you know you've gained from that's inspired you? Well, not especially, but I'll tell you my funny book story. Uh, so the book was customer centric selling Yeah. To back up a little bit. I was a VP of sales and marketing at the time. And my boss, the CEO, CEO and I, we weren't getting along too well. Uh, and this was the book he was reading. Uh, so every day he would shut his door and he would read a chapter. Uh, so I decided to mess with him a little bit. I took a peek at what chapter was next and I would read ahead of him. And so every day when he'd come in my office to talk about sales, I'd work in whatever approaches were in the next chapter he was going to read. And, he was pretty amazed by the insights I had around sales. It improved our working relationship phenomenally. Um, and he'd actually come in the next day and he's like, wow, funny, that thing we were just talking about, the book I'm reading, it just covered it. And I never really clued into what I was doing, but uh, that was my favorite book. And it was a good book uh, for the time. It was definitely a good book, uh, but that was my favorite book.
I like that. I think there's a there's a lesson in there, especially for the younger listeners. You know, definitely take note of what your leaders and bosses are reading, right? Because often you'll hear those excerpts in you know upcoming sales meetings, um, and those be shared. So I think that's that's a that's a great lesson um, to stay ahead of the game. Yeah, and I'll add. I mean, I'm probably more into blog posts now, and I do pretty openly share with my leadership team what I'm reading, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll admit when I'm plagiarizing ideas to them. Like, I'm not looking to be the smartest guy in the room all the time, but I am looking for us to all educate ourselves and improve what I call our SaaS IQ all the time. Yeah, love that, love that. So this this is really exciting time for for Varison as a business, and and on the opening. We alluded to the fact that as a company, you've been around since 2004. Um, so there's been, you know, there's been some kind of um, e- evolutions and revolutions, I'm guessing. But for those that don't have an understanding of Varison, like, you know, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. So back in 2004, we were a PowerPoint. Uh, we started coding. First lines of code were 2005. Uh, Varison basically is two words, variable and incentive smashed together. And that's how we came up with the name. Ah, that's, actually, kind of, that's the first time I've heard that. So that's cool. No, most people don't know it. We try to share it as much as we can with the company, but it seems like every month we have about 40 new folks. Uh, so something I talked about three months ago, you'll have 120 plus people in the company have no idea what you're talking about. And so we have to constantly repeat ourselves. Um, and we're the leading uh, provider of next generation sales performance management software, which is an umbrella term for incentive compensation, territory management, quota planning, and the associated analytics around it. I love that. And from uh, from the kind of position that you're in today, there's a story here that I just think needs to be told. And to your point of reiterating, I think it's it feels unique in this space, um, I feel like. Um, can you just talk us through that journey from startup to, you know, being part of um, IBM and now how you've come to life again um, uh, under the Varison brand? Yeah, we uh, it went very quickly and you covered a little bit of this in your intro. Uh, so as I mentioned, started coding in 2005. We did our first deal uh, in March 2006, a company called Greater Bay Bank. It was 15,000 of software, 15,000 of service. It was there was no SaaS for us yet. Uh, SaaS came along around 2008, 2009 timeframe. Um, and from that point, we went on and we did a deal a week for 30 straight weeks. And that first deal was 30,000 and that final deal was a million three. Wow. We kept being pulled more and more up market. Um, and as you mentioned, in 2010, we were in a, uh, named Deloitte Fast 500, fastest growing software company in North America. That report caught IBM's attention uh, and it came out in 2011. They started conversations with us around partnering, which was really, we're coming into your space. We'd love to partner with you, but we're coming in. There's a little bit of a veiled threat there. Uh, And and we joined forces and it was a great run. Uh, Well, it was at IBM. The business got materially better uh, and bigger, and they took us into all their blue chip clients. You had IBM fellows and distinguished engineers who did amazing things around performance of the solution. And then in 2010, or sorry, 2020, thanks to the Red Hat acquisition, uh, IBM uh, was on their earnings call talking about all the debt they had taken on with that deal, and they needed to start divesting some things to pay down the debt. We weren't the first business to go. Uh, The commerce products went, a few of the risk products went, and then we went. We weren't the highest bid, but for IBM, because we had so many of their blue chip clients, we were the highest quality bid, and it was so important to them that they could tell their clients that they were in good hands And what better way than to put it back in the hands of the founder? 
since then, we've also done uh, two other acquisitions, one in revenue operations and one in AI. Uh, and that's who we are today. That's amazing. I, I am curious. I mean, I've, I've been on a, a kind of a, a smaller entrepreneurial journey, but I wonder, you know, for me personally, I, I could never see myself working in an organization the scale of IBM. It's frightening to me, actually. How did you adjust um, as an entrepreneur and stick at it, actually, to the point that, you know, you were still around to have a conversation about taking your company back, if I'm honest? You know, before I get into answering, like brevity was such an important aspect of this. Uh, I remember when I would get in front of Ginny Rometty, uh, I would get 90 seconds to cover a billion dollar business and a pat on the back if I could finish in 60 seconds. Wow. So brevity was super important and it's something I've always carried with uh, to all the other organizations I work with in terms of starting with the conclusions. You don't wonder what people are building up for. They know what to pay attention to and then keep it really crisp. Uh, but for me, IBM was like going to university again. Um, so as an entrepreneur, you really learn how to grow, but you don't learn how to operate. Uh, if you run out of money, you just go do the next financing round and IBM instead really teaches you how to operate, how to evaluate every investment for yield, how to make trade-offs. Um, then there's also IBM research. Uh, and when you go to IBM research, it's like going to a grocery store of some of the coolest tech you've ever seen. I mean, this is where quantum's coming out of today. This is where Watson came out of, but it's just some of the coolest tech and you go there and you shop and you build it into your offerings. Uh, and the last thing I would mention is the people, uh, whether still there or outside, uh, it's an amazing group of people and it's an amazing now, uh, network uh, to be able to tap into. I, I think that's really helpful. You know, we get a range of listeners um, on the podcast from those that are later stages in their journey from a kind of a sales leadership or revenue leadership. But we also get some kind of aspiring leaders. And I, again, I, I love those takeaways. There is a real boy and entrepreneur culture now, or at least, you know, wannabe entrepreneur culture and what and what that should appear because of what you read about. And there's still a lot to be gained and a lot to be said for getting that experience from an established organization like an IBM, but who is clearly still cutting edge. And they're still clearly innovating in areas that you can gain from. And I, I do feel like that, that's that's helpful because there's, there's a lot of... Um, there's no polite way than saying kind of tech porn now, you know, around yeah. the fact that it's you can raise the VC funding, you can you can go on the journey and then you can re repeat it again. But there's a lot to learn. And uh, clearly you, you've enjoyed that journey as much as you have building the origination of, of your company. No, it's true. Uh, the journey has been amazing, um, but I would never like I wouldn't trade any of it. Like people would look at valuations today and say, do you wish you didn't sell in 2012 and do you wish you had kept going? Of course, that was more of a question before we started it up again, but I wouldn't trade any of it. Like all the experiences have been great experiences for me. Amazing, amazing. Um, so you, you highlighted some of the numbers of um, hiring that's going on right now. And as you've come out, there, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of people that would be attracted to the opportunity at Varison. Um, you know, it'd be under, it would be helpful to kind of understand that fundamental DNA that you feel makes Varison a special place um, for people to be part of? So for us, it was definitely a unique situation. Uh, you don't get startups as big as us. Uh, when they come out, we were really operating for, at scale uh, right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and on the culture side, well, there are ingredients you can pick up from the legacy team that was coming across. 
you don't inherit a fully baked plug and play culture. Um, it's too large. It's too multinational. There's too many of those attributes in it. We also chose not to sit down and write up our own culture on day one and then try to fit everyone into that. Uh, we didn't know enough yet. We needed to spend some time listening. Uh, so the culture we have today developed naturally. Uh, it's out of our personalities, our character, the business environment we're in. I'm really pleased uh, with how it's developed in that natural and authentic way. Um, and it's also important for us to just keep evolving it and growing it and, and moving with the times. So we're doing actually a whole exercise around this now. Uh, and I started the exercise by viewing myself as an employee and what was important to me. And I gave the organization a list of probably 25 things that was important to me, but there were things like open-mindedness. Uh, we actually do a lot of crowdsourcing at Verison to get to better answers. Yeah. Evidence-made decision-making, uh, try to avoid the anecdotes and really challenge the biases. Transparency, uh, we don't wanna just hear about the good stuff, we wanna hear about challenges too. Diversity, diversity is not a debate at Verison. We embrace diversity and challenge ourselves to continue to be more and more of a diverse organization and family. We look out for each other and we care for each other. Yeah, I've, and I, I would just have to say, um, I've had the good fortune of um, interacting with a, a number of people at, um, at Varison, and there is a real sense of care for each other. Like, I genuinely mean, like, you can just feel feel good about the interactions and, and that people have got their back. And I, I think that's so important. Now, there's so many opportunities, you know, in the technology industry um, and companies that are attracting talent, but it's it's not always easy to find organization where the people really care and are excited about what they do, but they care about each other. Um, and, and you know, I think that's a great testament to clearly the DNA that you've wanted to to feed into this organization. Well, so, whoever you are, be authentic, right? You don't want it to feel like a bait and switch when someone joins the organization. Be authentic. Uh, there's people that are attracted to all types of situations or some people where Veris is not the place for them. Sure. Uh, I'd rather not invest in a whole hiring cycle and find it's not a fit then. So just be authentic upfront about who you are. Yeah. No, fantastic. I love that. Um, it's, it's coming at an interesting time in terms of the development of Varison because there's so much interest in sales and revenue technology. You know, what's what's the view and what's the ambition for Varison to support sales and revenue organizations going forward into the future? So for us, we want to, and to say it as elegantly as I can, unlock the untapped potential in their go-to-market. Organizations are spending so much on their go-to-market. And the way we're doing that is we're leveraging augmented intelligence. That's what we refer to AI as, not artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. Uh, we want to help companies know where to make their bets, the potential headwinds they have coming, help service any blind spots or biases, all of that we want to be able to cover. At the end of the day, we want our customers to say, I can't even remember what I did before I used Verison. That's how much it's become a part of my life. Oh, I love that. And um, we recently had the good fortune of having one of your sales leaders, uh, Matthew Blanchard. And for our listeners, if you haven't checked him out, um, on the sales com uh, confidence channel do because it's a really interesting um, journey about how to think about planning um, for every situation, which is uh, particularly poignant because we've had to be more adaptable than ever as leaders. Um, but what, what's your ambition for Varison, in, particularly for our audience in the UK and, and European market? So for us, we are an international organization. A lot of that is thanks to IBM. There's no difference in our aspiration, regardless of the theater that we're out, that we're operating in. 
Uh, our issue is more that the brand isn't well known. Uh, in North America, we had really good brand affinity. We saw this during our due diligence. That's why we brought the brand name back. People who remembered it thought well of it. But even in North America in eight years, that's a long time for a brand to go away and then resurface. It was just better than building a brand name from scratch. But in Europe, where a lot of the customer base has come in during the IBM years, we've had to really brand ourselves and they don't really know a lot about us. And we've had to, and we've been locked down and not been able to get out there. So we've had to do a lot remotely to make sure that they know that we can be a trusted partner to help them grow. Um, the unique thing about us is uh, we all got drafted and rapidly matured into an international world thanks to IBM. Uh, because of that, the business while at IBM was quickly to establish all its international capabilities. We have an unusual mix uh, on the international side. Most North American companies have about, at our size, about 10% of their business is international. For us, we inherited 30% is non-North America. So very, very high. Wow. Uh, and we want to build on that. Most of the growth opportunities actually in the international markets, especially Europe. Um, so look, that's that's what we're about at this point. Uh, we're very focused on it. We continue to ramp our operation and it's now uh, really a big branding exercise to get our name out there. So, yeah, and I think, you know, through that um, IBM journey, you, you are here, you've got a customer base here. Um, it's just reminding, um, you know, future prospects and those on this discovery that that you exist in and something to consider standalone. So that's great. Um, just kind of moving on a little bit for our audience of kind of salespeople, um, you know, obviously you've you've had a tenured career and I guess you've, you've come across all sorts of interesting sales characters. Um, you know what? What are the best? What do you deem as the best salespeople that that you come across in your own organizations? Yeah, I mean they have to be motivated, uh, but probably even more than that. Like hopefully in your screening process, you can figure out their level of motivation or your reference calls or or something like that. Uh, I think empathy is the most important thing. You have to understand or be able to learn and understand the pain of the problem you're solving. Or you're not going to understand the value you're providing. Yeah. You have to be a good listener. Uh, so the best people I know and I've worked with, uh, they also ask for help. They work as a team versus trying to do everything themselves. Um, the saying that's always stuck with me is the best salespeople bring a company to its knees and the best companies don't let them. And that's what I strive for is salespeople that will ask for help and demand a lot of our organization. Uh, and then I try to build an organization that doesn't break when that happens. So I guess you've kind of highlighted it in that case. I mean, in some of the points you made there, but... Do you, do you see any certain trends of where sales is going in terms of as it evolves into the future? It's way more science-based now. Uh, it's very pattern-based at this stage. I remember doing a sales kickoff. I looked back at it in 2011, 2012, and we used to be able to talk about a sales engagement process following a linear path. And then I'm like, now it's the Wild West. You have all these backdoor references and all this networking. And but really, it's just a set of patterns. And the new pattern that evolved there was around advocacy and what people say about you, it matters. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of time, they're not going to talk to references you gave them. They're going to go on G2 Crowd or, or some other trust radius or some other source. Um, so you're already seeing uh, this science really be applied within the space of revenue operations. I think the number I had heard was, so when we went into IBM in 2012, there were barely any CROs in the market. And I think now on LinkedIn, there's something like 18,000. Uh, so you've definitely seen a big evolution there. Um, but it's really about opening up the gearbox of how you run your company, keep tuning things the same way you would your products. Your, your go-to-market is the same thing. You're A-B testing, you're multivariant testing, and you're trying to turn data into evidence to make better decisions. 
Um, but as we could say every year about the latest trend, we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's amazing to think um, the journey you've already been on, yet what's to come um, as, you, as you move forward. I think it's really exciting. I guess as an executive, um, uh, you know, a mature company as well, when, you know, are there some tips or approaches that you would share for sales professionals and how they approach the, uh, the profession? So the first is all feedback is gold. Uh, sellers are always resistant when you're doing like win loss analysis and that anything comes up about them. Uh, of course, there's no public shaming, but for them to be able to get that feedback is absolutely incredible. Uh, the second is don't be scared of silence. Uh, weaker sellers, I find, always want to fill every pause in a conversation. And then sometimes they start just randomly throwing things against the wall to seeing what sticks. And they start offering up some dangerous things out of just sheer nervousness. Um, so try asking a question and then just listen. Uh, even if there's a pause, resist jumping in. Eventually, the other person will speak, I promise. There's never been a case of history where they just stop speaking at that point. Eventually, they'll fill in the void. Uh, I do have a personal story here. Um, it actually relates to my dad. Uh, he was sadly terminal at the time. Uh, and the sickness, he I moved him in with me here uh, in Toronto, and the sickness had progressed very fast and rapidly. And at that point, he was struggling to get up the stairs. Uh, so I needed urgently one of those stair lifts that you get that, that uh, you sit down on the seat and it glides you up around the staircase. Uh, so the sales guy came to the house. He inspects the job. Uh, and then he quotes me 18 plus grand. All I did was pause to think about, and I look up and I'm just thinking about what credit card would have the room for $18,000, but I needed this stairlift, really whatever it costed, I needed this stairlift. In the pause, he says, let me see if I can do something better. And I, of course I say, okay. And then he calls his manager. All of a sudden he gets off the phone and he's like, look, it's our month end. We can do 15 grand. So at that point, I don't know. I don't have much to do. I'm sitting home. We're doing palliative care. Uh, so I just pause again. I want to see what happens. And by the end of these pauses, we were at sub uh, $12,000 uh, and we got the deal done. So my tip here is don't talk during the pauses. Just listen. Uh, don't be scared of the silence. Ask questions. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can pick apart this story. I use it with sellers all the time. Uh, so for instance, he could have done some upfront discovery while he was quoting the job and he would have learned why I needed the stair lift and understand the value of what he was selling to me. Uh, it would have helped him to employ some empathy about the situation I was in. But even as a weaker technique, at his most basic, he could have simply opened the door and let me tell him what price I was willing to pay. And it likely would have been lower than a 33% discount that I would have asked for. Um, so that's kind of the main one there. Uh, and I would say, Another thing that I used very effectively throughout my career is just listening to myself. So we all have the ability now to record our conversations. You see it with vendors like Gong and Chorus and others that are out there recording it and helping people make better. I did this on my own for years. And what I would do is I would analyze myself for presentation style and emphasis. Uh, so I'd look for nonverbals on the one side. Uh, but the other thing I would do is I would actually go through and time every section in my meeting and figure out was the amount of time I was spending on that topic worth the value of that topic. And that really helped me tune all the presentations I gave. So lots of tips there. Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you for sharing, um, you know, the, the personal side of that, that story. 
Um, I, I guess um, difficult during that time, but th that negotiation, is that is that something that your dad would have been proud of? Um, I think at that point he was more anxious to get up the stairs, but he, he wasn't a seller himself. I don't he think wasn't. he understood exactly what was going on. I think it's just sellers easily pick apart other sellers. Uh, and especially when we go into certain industries where maybe they don't have the same skill and training that we see in our SaaS space, uh, where we really are applying that science to it. And we're constantly training, we're constantly evolving, we're constantly reading and making ourselves better. Uh, but it's just such a story in terms of just all the little nuggets in there of how this seller could have done it differently and likely netted the whole 18,000. He could have sold it above list. <laughs> like I yeah. need it. You, you had the need, right? Uh, um, so very powerful. And I, I love this early and it's come across in these conversations we've had today, you know, your interest in self-improvement and you're right now it's become almost table stakes that you should be recording and listening back to your calls, but definitively understanding where you're adding value in a meeting, when you should speak, what you should emphasize is a fascinating um, skill to have developed so early on in, in the career. So that, that's really interesting to hear. Um, Apart, uh, we're coming to the kind of um, final stages of the conversation. And, you know, we really care about sales confidence, people unlocking their confidence to overcome challenges. And I, I'm just under, uh, keen to understand where you get your own confidence you know, you've been on a journey. Where does that come from for you and how do you develop it? Yeah, I mean, earlier you talked about the entrepreneurs that immediately they graduate, they go out on their own and they kind of learn as they go. For me, it was a bit different. I worked at two companies before going out on my own. At the first company, I learned how to do it. At the second company, I tested it to make sure that I understood the pieces that were working. Uh, and then at the third company was my own and myself and some co-founders, we went out and we just did it on our own. So I didn't actually like people are always like, how'd you take the risk? I didn't view it as a risk. I was just applying the same stuff that had already worked at two prior companies a third time. So for me, a little bit unique in terms of how I got my confidence. But for me, it was around getting out there and actually um, working a little bit and learning from others before I tried to go and do things on my own. Right. Um, and over that journey that you've been on, um, you know, you must have experienced some challenges and some some hardships. Uh, have you got anything to share around those challenges and how you overcame them? Yeah, it's funny. Well, every time we were raising money, people would warn us like, look, you have to figure out how your board is when times aren't good. And then whenever we look back on it, we really had a great run. I mean, being fastest growing software company, uh, there weren't really bad quarters out there. But I will say um, the financial crisis uh, when we had it and how it dried up liquidity there were a lot of tough lessons there um, that really got us ready for what, for some of what COVID brought. COVID though was different mm. uh, because it was also a threat to everyone's health and well-being, uh, and not everyone copes with that the same way. Uh, so for us, we were just three months into our relaunch at the time. Uh, we didn't really understand and empathize with all the fears and uncertainty that everyone was feeling. We had to yeah. take some time at the same time that we were trying to figure out our own and the ones of our loved ones. Um, and we had to figure out how to lessen this for everyone. Uh, so we did things like sending people home really early. We went to work from home two weeks before there was any lockdown uh, that generated a lot of goodwill uh, from the employee base. We provided them full visibility into our financial health. Everyone was worried about their paycheck and their job all of a sudden, how stable were we? So we gave them the visibility. Uh, at the time, I think we were running at around 350,000 in revenue per head. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. There was no risk for them. And we took them through that and we benchmarked it against other people. 
Uh, and then we just ramped up our communication anchored by our town halls. Every single week we were doing town halls and just constantly talking to them um, and filling them in on what was going on within the business and sharing with them uh, all the new innovations that we were working on. Amazing. And I, I just it highlights some of those values that you that you um, highlighted earlier in this conversation around transparency. Um, and I guess there was never more of a time to be tested um, against those values during those early days of COVID. Um, so do you have any kind of suggestions for other leaders on, on how they can develop their own confidence? So let's pick on listening again, now that we're talking about leaders versus sellers. Uh, this is something I coach a lot of CEOs on uh, when I tell them that they need to go out there and do more market research. And they take objection to it. They're like, I'm out there. I listen to customers all the time. I'm meeting with customers all the time. And I'm like, no, you don't listen to customers. You talk to customers because it would be awkward when you're going and pitching a prospect to ask them questions the entire time. They're there to kind of hear what your value is. And doing those types of things really affords you the opportunity to listen, but really look at your balance of how much you talk versus how much you listen. Uh, and that's really going to help you on in terms of things like product market fit and really kind of evolving uh, how quickly you can scale your business. The second one I would say for leaders is embrace wisdom of the crowd. Uh, I even use tools. There's a tool we used at Verison called Thought Exchange, uh, which I think very highly of. You go in there, you put in one or two ideas on a topic, and then you vote on 10 random ideas that other people have on that topic. Um, and we've used this a number of times within the organization uh, to really be able to crowdsource and get to better answers than what we could have done on our own as a leadership team. The third that I'll emphasize is open-mindedness uh, and be willing to pivot when you're wrong. This allows you to feed off the confidence that others will have in you. If they look at you and they see that you're someone that never pivots, even when it's very clear that you're wrong, it's really hard for them to have confidence in you. And therefore you can't feed off that to have your own confidence. I embrace being wrong all the time. And I come out, I try to teach the entire organization by calling out things that I was wrong on. If I spoke on something in front of them and I want to pivot on it or I want to change it, I don't just gloss over it and just tell them the new way. I make sure to emphasize, and by the way, my first impression here was wrong. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, that's given me some food for thought. Thank you for sharing. Um, so just as we conclude now, um, there's a huge amount to take away from this. And, and I think this is what I can tell um, yourself and as a business barrison you're just keen for more people to be aware of this story because it's a fascinating journey um and there's so much change happening in this industry but you are still very much at the forefront of innovation and bringing solutions to um the, the leaders driving sales and revenue organizations and it's been really interesting to to hear it and and get your perspective directly and i've already you know learned some takeaways that I didn't necessarily expect going into this conversation. So Mark, thanks for being so open um, and kind of living true to your values. I guess as we wrap this up now, I'd just love to you know, give you the chance to express any final takeaways or, or points that you'd want to share with the audience uh, just before we uh, conclude this interview. So I would say one more thing. It's not short, but one more thing. Um, in the time after I left IBM and as we were pulling out Verisent, I worked as an executive in residence for a VC fund, the same VC fund that was actually our Series B investor back in the original Barrison days. And at this VC fund, uh, two of the partners were male, two of the partners were female, and we were looking at a potential investment. And the fellow comes in and he presents a slide with his leadership team with all the headshots. 
And 100%, they're all white guys. And in our debrief with the two female partners, they were really turned off, but ultimately wanted to know uh, what the how the entrepreneur reacted uh, to being asked about this directly. So after the meeting, I went and had a sidebar with the guy. I told him the main concern is that everyone looks the same on your leadership team. Uh, and he challenged me pretty aggressively. He said that really bothers him and he really believes in going with the best people, uh, no matter what their gender, ethnicity. And my response back was, I hear you. We all want the best people. But when I look across your entire team, in each case, I know a diverse leader who's probably better than the person you have there. So how hard did you really look? Mm -hmm. So there's two points that I'm making here. Sometimes we look for the easy answer and we need to look a little bit harder and we need to look outside our network a little bit. Diversity of opinion also matters in terms of that. You don't want a whole bunch of people that just think alike and work alike. And diversity itself of your employees and of your team matters. Having a team that represents the population and things like the population you're selling to, it matters. So all I would say is no more excuses, no more debate. Embrace it. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's... Um... A super valuable way to end this conversation, Mark. Um, it's been incredible to have you on today's uh, show. I'm looking forward to enlightening many more people in the UK and Europe on um, what Varison's bringing to the table. Um, typically, I'd shake your hand at this point if we were in person uh, as a thank you, but I would just like to um, wish you well um, and look forward to learning more as you develop the business going forward into the future. Um, so thanks for being on the show. James, thanks so much for having us. Thanks so much for all your support, believing in what we do. We really appreciate the help. Awesome.